0: Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Rob R., Deep P., and Todd A. On the show today, a new guest of a returning company, Ryan McIntyre, the president of Maverick's Metals, a mid-tier royalty and streaming company focused on gold and silver, mostly in the Americas and Australia. The company has exposure to near 100 assets, with 13 of them currently paying. Mavericks is a cornerstone position here at Smith Weekly Research. Mavericks is listed on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol MMX and also on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the same symbol MMX. Ryan, it is a pleasure to have you on the show and welcome.
1: Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, Ryan, out of the gate here, thoughts on the natural resource markets here. How is demand for deals and what areas of the market are you liking here?
1: Yeah, sure. We've obviously had a lot of movement uh, in the commodity prices over this year. Some have helped us uh, a lot, actually. Obviously, gold being our primary commodity uh, has moved up nicely, and silver has recovered a lot, uh, which is also uh, part of our revenue stream, obviously, but obviously heavy-weighted to gold. So, so far, uh, it's been a pretty good year for us, and uh, we hope it continues.
0: And how are you doing as far as uh, are you in the office today? Are you at home? Uh, how's COVID Where you are –
1: Yeah, so I'm typically based out of an office in uh, New York, and given what's going on there, I decided uh, to stay home for the last uh, basically three or four months, so I've been working out of my office here in uh, Connecticut, just outside of the city, so it's actually been pretty seamless here. I actually have the same setup at home as I do in uh, New York and in Vancouver, actually, which is where uh, most of the team is based.
0: Well, sounds good. Glad you're doing well. You're a new guest on the show. For the audience, give us the Ryan McIntyre background overview, and then. Who and what brought you to Mavericks?
1: Well, I spent the past, uh, I guess, 11 and a half years at Tocqueville Asset Management, uh, working with John Hathaway and uh, Doug Rowe as a co-manager of the gold strategy there. And so obviously had a lot of uh, investing experience uh, from that standpoint. And, uh, you know, prior to that, actually, I was at uh, Macquarie Bank uh, with the CEO of Mavericks, uh, Daniel Flaherty. Uh, where we worked together uh, on the M&A side and a number of the initial uh, Streaming deals in the sector sort of the early formation of the streaming deals uh, in the early 2000s And that's really how it uh, coalesced actually. We're, we're pretty well together back then uh, on these deals that we're currently doing at Mavericks and uh, And the chairman Jeff Burns actually I got to know uh, very well over the past uh, couple decades as well uh, mainly through investing in uh, Pan-American Silverware. He was previously uh, the CEO. So quite a strong linkage actually between the groups. And that was one of the big draws to me is, you know, really the high quality team at Mavericks. You look at, uh, you know, obviously Jeff and Dan, which I've mentioned, and then you look at the rest of the the management team and even the board as well, a very strong board uh, for this size company. You know, we're only a $550 million company. And that was one of the things that really attracted me uh, to the opportunity as well. With such a small company, relatively speaking, given the opportunity potential, I thought there was a great opportunity uh, to grow in the sector. So that was really one of the main draws for me to join Mavericks uh, late last year.
0: And you guys have already had a a nice growth run already, but a lot of room left to run, I would say. Ryan, has the company uh, itself, as far as uh, operations and so forth, have you guys had any notable impacts coming out of
1: COVID? Just from an operational standpoint at Mavericks, you know, everyone's working from home. But I think the great thing about, at least from the royalty business model standpoint, you know, we're only nine people at Mavericks total. So it's really not a stretch to have everyone, uh, you know, coordinate together uh, sort of in their own separate homes and what have you. And obviously, we're not managing any operations ourselves. So uh, pretty straightforward from that perspective. And then from the uh, royalty side of things, uh, in terms of paying royalties, I think the biggest the biggest impacts are coming from uh, La Colorado. Where we've got 100% gold stream, and uh, the San Jose mine, where we've got a royalty there. Uh, those two mines are based in Mexico, and uh, the Mexican government deemed mining non-essential uh, during the pandemic. And so for basically uh, two months there, that both those operations were uh, shut down. They're both back up and running now at uh, full capacity, so uh, no long- long-term impacts there on those particular ones. And then the only other one to note actually is uh, T-Max uh, Hope Bay property, where we've got a, a 2.5% royalty on that one. And uh, given that it's located uh, in a pretty isolated spot in Nunavut, uh, you know, they didn't want to infect the local population there, given, obviously, there's uh, less accessibility to hospitals and so forth and treatment. Uh, so they withdrew uh, a bunch of their staff and running on sort of minimum operating levels at the minute. but uh it's a great asset and uh, once uh, covid subsides it should come back nicely
0: yeah it's interesting some of the different views from governments on what is considered essential and non-essential and how the time factor that comes into those decisions really will will start to weigh and play into their decision-making process and probably looking back uh, some of it might turn out to be quite silly but good to see that things are starting to pick back up in that regard i think that there's lots of ways to put in protocols and, and so forth to make sure that these operations continue um, in a safe manner. Appreciate the information there. Ryan, we saw China Molly just do a $550 million precious metal deal with triple flag.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Thoughts on the Chinese taking these types of deals, it's kind of a new thing for them. And will Mavericks look at doing deals with Chinese companies if the right opportunity comes along?
1: funny you mention that because, uh, you know, obviously there's a situation at uh, TMAC where Shandong has come in and made a proposal uh, to acquire TMAC, uh, which obviously we have a royalty on the Hope Bay property, which I just mentioned. And so, you know, although we haven't had any contact uh, with Shandong, um, you know, we'd be be open to looking at uh, many different opportunities from anybody, as long as it made sense uh, for our shareholders at the end of the day. Um, So I think, you know, we'll look at uh, many different things. But I think the one thing that you can continue to see for Mavericks is basically just our continued focus on uh, just investing in royalties and streams. And ideally, we'd like to do it in geographies uh, where there's a strong rule of law, good quality operator with a long operating history, sort of pedigree that, uh, you know, very trustworthy type partner. And uh, those are the types of things we're looking for.
0: Yes, absolutely. I think that there are a few of those, and I think the jurisdiction matters more so than maybe the uh, the origin of the company. I mean, there's certainly some good Chinese operators out there, Xi'an, for example. Yeah, interesting opportunity there, and and seeing what's what's starting to happen as things heat up, and just kind of following on that, we've seen more companies enter into the space recently, namely uh, Vox and Nomad Royalties. Thoughts on these newer entrants, or at least their newer listings? Do you see that the sector will have consolidation later in the natural resource cycle, Ryan? And will Mavericks look to participate in sector M&A?
1: It's very interesting to see how you know the royalty and streaming space has grown uh, over the past sort of 15 years or so. I mean, when I first started in the business in the early 2000s, um, you know, the royalty space sort of 15 years ago probably had a five, million, $5 billion dollar market cap in total, uh, and now I think. If you total up all the different players, it's something of the order of $60 billion. Uh, So obviously, huge growth there. Um, and it's not surprising to me at all uh, that you've had new entrants come in uh, because, you know, some of the established players have been very successful in the space. And uh, so it's no surprise to me at all. And I guess the other thing is just the opportunity set today uh, is probably higher than it was uh, a few years ago, I would say, um, just given that. I think, you know, royalties and streams have definitely become more acceptable uh, as a form of finance in investors' minds. Um, I actually do think, um, you know, royalties and streams, actually I'm biased, but I actually do think uh, they're sometimes better positioned as a form of finance, just given that they they do ebb and flow with the commodity price. So as commodity prices goes up, obviously the royalty or stream is, is higher, and then conversely the opposite when prices are lower. So it is actually more of a natural hedge for the miner itself uh, instead of being to have some fixed obligations. So to me, it definitely deserves a part of the capital structure uh, for sure. Uh, but ultimately over the long term, uh, consolidation in the sector, I think is inevitable, uh, but I think it is more likely to happen um, when there aren't as many things to do in the royalty and streaming space. So to the extent that there are fewer deals uh, to be done, I think the deals will become amongst the, the players themselves in the sector, which makes complete sense uh, to me anyway. And, you know, from a Mavericks perspective, we're happy to participate on the acquiring side if it makes sense for our shareholders. And conversely, if we are the target, uh, that is completely fine as well, as long as it makes sense for our shareholders. Uh, and that's the one thing that we care about. Uh, we're completely indifferent. And as long as it makes sense, we'll do it.
0: Good points. And speaking of competition, right now, as far as deals that you might be presently competing in, has the company seen an increase in demand from companies seeking finance deals? And have you seen any challenges with getting deals right now?
1: You know, at the start of the year, and I've only been with the company for about six or seven months, but you know, basically, you know, speaking with uh, people at Maris, we were the busiest that we've ever been. Uh, at The start of the year, there was a lot to do. You know, you had gold prices at a pretty healthy level, not a high level, but a healthy level, uh, where people wanted to do things with projects and so forth, but the equity markets weren't yet open at that time. And obviously, you had COVID come in, uh, and obviously, basically, halt activity, I would say, on the deal-making front, largely, as companies were looking inward and basically just trying to reorient themselves uh, in the COVID pandemic, including ourselves. Obviously, you're trying to make sure that you have everything aligned and protecting yourself first before you start extending yourself uh, too far and and kind of post that you've actually had some of the commodity prices change notably in the base metal side although a lot of them have recovered now uh, but and the equity markets have also opened up actually given that gold prices had a very strong move uh, and silver has recovered a little bit so uh, from that standpoint i would say two things the equity market has definitely come back on the gold sectors. So that's probably taken a little bit away from what would have been possibly um, new royalty or stream transactions. But conversely, the higher gold prices actually encouraged more people to start moving forward with their projects. And so it's actually interesting, kind of comes away from one part of the sector, but kind of comes in, in another. Because uh, the equity market, I think, still is reasonably selective. you have got to have, I'd say, the right people, the right project to do a high quality equity deal. So I think there's still a lot to do out there for us.
0: Expand just a little bit more, Ryan, about how many deals is Mavericks looking at as far as what you guys see as as volume come in the door for deals to consider? And out of those deals, what would you say that the rate is at which you might accept a deal compared to how many you might turn away?
1: Oh, geez. We probably see, uh, you know, probably two or three opportunities a week come in the door. And that's either from referrals, just random inbounds or us going out and trying to approach somebody uh, about something and obviously a very low probability of them ever come to, to full fruition. So you can, you can kind of work out, we've done more or less like 10 deals over the past four years, some of them quite large, but nonetheless, uh, so it just gives you an idea of the you know, low probability of any one of them in particular happening, but, uh, quite a, quite a bit of volume still coming through the door, which is, which is great for us.
0: Yeah. I think that there is at least some thoughts and hopes that this, uh, And maybe we'll see it again, but the market panic that happened in March of this year, maybe there would have been some more time for things to settle out and a little bit more value deals coming through the door as a result of what happened, but it was quite quick and interesting nonetheless, but maybe we'll see something else that'll come along to that effect. Or maybe we won't the second time around, maybe there won't be the panic, at least in the gold sector anyway. Well, let's move on, Ryan. Let's talk a little bit of recent news. Warrant Capital came in from Pan American and Mavericks did a royalty reduction with uh, Mm -hmm. Corora Resources. First, did the company see the royalty reduction as important to free up perhaps maybe some of the burden over at Corora uh, to achieve a more economic production profile? What was the reasoning with this deal?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, just to give you a little bit of history on that royalty, so uh, we have a 7.5% royalty on the gold of uh, the Beta Hunt portion of the property, which Corora is operating. And what's interesting about that is it's such a high number because they actually, not Corora, but I guess the previous uh, management team was thinking that it was actually a nickel property, and they thought gold was the byproduct metal. And it turned out to be the reverse, actually, where they found the gold being the primary metal. And so It ended up being a pretty onerous uh, royalty to some extent Um, not that they weren't making money but you know obviously when you do have options uh at other other properties and things you have to make it competitive Uh, and so you know i think one of the things i think we've done a great job with is operating well with our partners and so you know to the extent that you know we can help them you know strengthen their production from beta hunt increase the revenue from the royalty even if it's reduced. Uh, is really a really strong win for us. I mean, just to give everyone some context, I mean we put in in aggregate uh, $15 million total uh, to assemble that 7.5% royalty on Beta Hunt, and we've already been paid back uh, about 120% of that amount just through cash flow to this point. And then you add on uh, another $18 million to that, so we've already received a couple multiples of what we put in over you know the four years that we've owned it. So we still have 4.75% of what will hopefully be a much stronger producer than it has been over the past year. I know Paul and the team have done a great job uh, with the asset, and we expect very good things now that it's a little less encumbered.
0: That's important you point that out, because I was going to ask you about that. And of course, we will have the the $5 million um, coming in over the next, I guess, less than a year now. But yeah, interesting to point out, certainly that you guys have already done well on this asset. I think it does make more sense um for the light longevity of the asset to to do what you've done here. Ryan, can you speak to your guys' preference to generally prefer to to have cash over holding a lot of equity? Mm-hmm. Is that typically your guys' uh viewpoint or is it really just kind of more on a deal-by-deal basis? What's the decision process when you guys consider equity in a company versus just uh taking the cash?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, I guess just to highlight first, I mean, our business model is to invest in in royalties and streams. And I guess first and foremost, um, you know, whether it's we're talking about this Corora transaction or some of the money we'll be getting from what uh, we've gotten from Pan American for their warrant exercise. You know, our primary goal is to redeploy that into royalties and streams. And we definitely see some opportunities. And then specifically in the case with Corora, we were more than happy to take uh, their equity, um, you know, just given that we do view. Uh, the company is being in a very strong position. We do think they're going to do good things with uh, Beta Hunt and Higginsville. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, when, you know, when a type of quality investor like Eric Sprott uh, wants to put more money in and strengthen Corora, we are more than happy uh, to work with the operating partner uh, to take advantage of that and really allow them to be even more financially strong, which ultimately just benefits them and us at the same time. And I think, you know, the more exposure I think Corora has, uh, the better uh, for everybody and so we're cognizant of that and we're also cognizant that we've got some opportunities uh, that we're looking at and so to the extent we could uh, get some money for that uh, that would be great for our shareholders uh, directly as well
0: yeah ryan what's the goal with the the cash that came out of the pan-american and the carora deal is it mostly just to set aside for the war chest for new deals
1: that is the primary goal so you know just to give everyone a picture of how our balance sheet is today Proforma, the the Corora transaction. So we've got about cash and marketable securities, about 51 million U.S. dollars and uh, debt outstanding of about 60 million dollars U.S. And we also have an additional 60 million uh, credit facility available. So currently we've got over 100 million dollars of current firepower to go out there and go after some high quality royalties and streams that we see as as beneficial. So that is the primary objective uh, for any money that we get. Uh, although maintaining a balance, uh, with not too much risk on the balance sheet. Cause I think, you know, when we look at our business model. Uh, I think one of the big risks it you know, for us is leverage. You know, we don't, we do not want to be too over levered in any situation. And to the extent that, you know, let's say the commodity prices uh, go down a little bit at some point, which they inevitably do, uh, for a period of time, uh, you know, we want to be ready and take advantage of that opportunity if it comes in front of us.
0: And new potential deals, you know, you guys are mostly looking at gold and silver or have been in gold and silver as kind of the core for Mavericks with a little bit of base metal exposure. Is the company looking at more things like copper, zinc, and PGMs here, or will the focus remain on gold and silver?
1: Yeah, so our primary focus is still on gold and silver with a strong bias towards gold. So about three-quarters of our revenue uh, currently comes from gold and about 20% uh, comes from silver about 5% from, from other metals, sort of zinc, lead, copper. Uh, but no, our strong focus is still remaining on, on gold.
0: Ryan, if you guys see a just a fantastic deal that's tough to turn away from, looking into places like iron ore and potash or specialty sectors like uranium, rare, rare earths, or vanadium, uh, would that be an area the company would look to as maybe small exposure?
1: I don't think so. Yeah, I think it would have to be pretty unbelievable to do that, um, but I just I just don't see us doing that. I think you know, our whole goal really is to give investors pure play exposure uh, to gold as best we can, but we'll also accept silver. But the other things I think we'll probably avoid.
0: Ryan, how about new paying assets that are coming online? Um, when you guys look at what's coming up in the pipeline, what key assets do you really expect to come online over the next
1: two years? Yeah, so probably the big one for us is, you know, Relief Canyon this year has just started production. So that's operated by uh, America's Gold and Silver. Uh, So that one's an open pit heap leach project in Nevada. And so they just started producing recently. And so we have a royalty on a portion of that ground. So we should expect uh, some revenue from that uh, coming in this year. And then over the next several years, I think one of the ones uh, is from a project perspective, uh, Greenfield's project is uh, the Gemfield project in Nevada. So we've got a 5% royalty on this open pit heap leach project, uh currently owned by Waterton. And uh, they're going to be in the process of actually selling it. They're not operators of assets. Uh, but it's a very high-quality project that should produce around 125,000 ounces of gold a year. And we obviously have a 5% royalty on that. So that'll add uh, just over 6,000 GTOs for us uh, per year. So I think that's one of the ones that we're looking to, in the near term, and probably another one to point out actually is one that we acquired uh with the Kinross royalty portfolio acquisition uh, late last year and that's the Kensington property. Uh it's a currently operating mine uh by Core Mining uh produces about 100 to 125,000 ounces a year. Uh we've got a 2.5% royalty on it. Uh but the key of that one is our revenue royalty only kicks in after Core recoups a certain amount of capital that they've invested in that uh asset. And what's interesting is when we acquired uh, the royalty portfolio from Kinross last year using the gold price of about 1400 at the time, we thought it would take approximately five or so years uh, for Core to recoup that capital. And what's interesting about the higher gold price now, that five years has shrunk to about three years. And so that is something new that we really haven't talked about much. We've only started talking about it uh, recently just given the move in the gold price. And so that one is one that's actually already been operating's been operating for a while, and uh, they've had some good exploration success there, so we look forward to that one potentially coming on uh, a couple of years sooner than we were thinking.
0: Certainly, that one has a pretty interesting setup that's there, and it's fairly you know short term to potential production. There are a lot of stuff I know you guys certainly know and have those on your list, those development projects. You guys are probably focused on those closer development projects, most likely, is, is my thought. As far as the warrants that have just come in, and with just really a few warrants left, does the company see a need to finance further using equity uh, or do MA by issuing more shares? Or do you see that the cash flows coming in and growing and debt financing is really the primary vehicle forward for Mavericks?
1: Yeah, definitely no immediate need to use equity. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, we've got uh, just over $100 million uh, in available liquidity to do transactions. That plus, you know, we're generating, uh, you know, this year we're probably going to generate about $40 million of royalty and stream revenue. So you sort of add all that together, uh, and then the, the transaction would have to be very large for us. So it'd be unlikely that we'd be doing any equity issues or anything like that. The only thing I would caveat that with is, you know, historically, uh, we've issued we've issued some equity to the extent we've acquired uh, big royalty portfolios. Uh, to so to the extent that we do one of those, it probably would come along with uh, some level of equity, just given the large size of those portfolios typically. But otherwise, no, I wouldn't see us any, issuing any equity.
0: And Ryan, on jurisdictions for a moment, does Mavericks remain open to all jurisdictions, or does there remain a preference to North, Central, and South America?
1: Yeah, there's definitely a strong preference uh, for those regions that you just mentioned. Uh, And I think the overriding idea is, you know, we want to be in regions with a strong rule of law, uh, with a good mining pedigree, and in areas that we understand as a management team. You know, I think the one great thing about our team uh, itself is we have a lot of different experiences, a lot of different places, in particular, the Americas. Obviously, is a strong area. And also Australia, even one of our technical people uh, actually is Australian and actually has a long history uh, with people there. So we tend to have very good networks uh, in those environments. So that's really where we're focused on things that, you know, we understand and they really have had a long history of mining, which I think is so critical. Um, and, you know, just given our size and everything, I think the one advantage that we have is that we really don't have to reach, you know, we don't have to do anything exotic, whether it's locations or whether it's deal terms or prices to grow. You know, we we can be pretty comfortable just doing what we're doing. You know, we don't need to do a big deal just to do a deal. Uh, plus, we're really well positioned. So if you look at, you know, we've got uh, about 105 uh, royalties and streams in our portfolio. Uh, 13 of those are currently paying. And if you look at our pipeline, we've got things coming in over the next sort of three years. We've got some things coming in over the next, you know, couple years after that. And then we've got some longer term things. So if you look at the stages of sort of the things where we are, we're very well diversified today where we've got, you know, 80% of our production coming from Canada, the U S Australia and Mexico. And actually, in fact, that's probably only going to increase uh, in terms of uh, production, particularly from the United States. Um, where obviously we just talked about, uh, you know, Gemfield obviously being a big one there, but we've got a lot of great development projects uh, where we've got royalties coming into the fore uh, in the next five years or so. So, I look for that to continue to grow actually, rather than than shrink.
0: And there's a number of advanced projects that are coming on as well, and a number of good jurisdictions and some pretty sound companies behind some of them. Are you guys at this point really looking harder at the deals that have a potential construction decision coming with a a mine being built sometime within the next three to four years? Is that where you guys are more focused on? Are you guys looking more out the curve into more expiration-type stages.
1: We're definitely looking at things uh, with a clear path to production. And so that means if it's not a, in production, something that maybe has a feasibility study or is being built as we speak. So something kind of along that that sort of trajectory is where where we want to be now.
0: Exit strategy, Ryan. You kind of talked a little bit about this earlier. Long-term sector player for Mavericks or a buyout target
1: for the big three royalty companies? Yeah, no, it's interesting. I think, you know, when I joined Mavericks, I thought of two different scenarios. I thought, you know, one scenario would be would be there'd be a lot of deals to do. We'd be very successful in doing the deals. Uh, and then we would just continue to grow the company sort of, you know, net asset value per share, cash flow per share growth. And we continue to move the share price up and close that multiple gap that we see between ourselves and some of the other players uh, in the sector. Because there's a pretty big uh, difference there today. And then their aspect of it is, you know, if we, if we can't do that, you know, I think it is logical that we become the target. And, uh, you know, our objective, regardless of how it goes, to try our best uh, to get shareholders uh, top dollar, uh, whether it's through accretive acquisitions that we've been doing over the last four years or as an exit uh, through somebody else acquiring us. And it is notable that we do have, obviously, uh, three large shareholders, being Newmont that owns 23 percent of us, Pan American that owns 20 percent of us and then Ken Ross that owns 9% of us and they all came through uh, as equity holders from basically vending in their royalty portfolios so they've really trusted us uh, to do a couple of things to you know grow net asset value per share cash flow per share and make it an accretive business and their aspect you know they ultimately want to return uh, by capturing that multiple difference as well that exists today between us where we're trading and some of the other players in the space and If we don't do a good job at capturing that, uh, I'm sure someone else will capture it for us.
0: And Ryan, as far as Mavericks and looking at some of the other competitors, uh, one, is there another competitor in the royalty space that you like? And then two, why is Mavericks superior to others in the space?
1: Sure. No, I think there are a lot of great people actually in this sector. I think one of the good things about having a good business model actually tends to attract good quality people. And I think that's generally true even on the operating side, I think, you know, good quality, either business model or assets tend to attract good quality people. Um, and I think the same thing exists in the royalty and streaming space. So I actually have a lot of respect, you know, having been on the on the buy side uh, for many years, you know, I've got to know a lot of them very well. And I think a lot of them are great. And so actually, I have a lot of respect for, for most everyone in this space. And from Mavericks' perspective, I'd probably say, you know, it's not like we're so different from them. I think you know, from uh, an operating perspective. But I would say that, you know, we do have several advantages. Uh, one is our size, actually. Uh, it has allowed us uh, to be a little bit more nimble and offer something that some of the larger guys can't offer, which is an equity stake and a multiple re-rate, because they've obviously, they've achieved a size that, you know, that they obviously have the, the highest multiples in the sector. So, and I think one of the things, you know, that won over the Newmonts and the Kinrosses is the ability to capture uh, not only accretion per share, but also that multiple expansion per share over time. And I think that is a huge advantage for us. And the other thing too, just on, you know, we're, we've only been in this sector for four years as Mavericks. Uh, but the other thing is our technical team as well. I think we punch really high above our weight. We have our in-house technical staff. And not only that, actually, we have a very good, obviously, relationship with uh, Newmont and Pan American. And there's a lot of information exchange on, you know, assets that, you know, maybe looking to do something. So deal flow perspective and also from a technical perspective as well. Uh, so we can obviously get a second opinion from Newmont Pan American to the extent that we think that they've looked at it before. And so I think, you know, we're a very well-rounded business, uh, even given our size, uh, up to 550 million uh, market cap. So I think we're a very strong company uh, in many regards, uh, with strong networks and pretty good reputation. As, uh, as I guess vetted by uh, some of our shareholders, including some of our institutions as well.
0: Potential investors who are on the sidelines listening, what would you say to them at this point, the stage in the company and at current price levels?
1: Why should they consider
0: Mavericks now?
1: Well, I think first and foremost, we've got a great current platform. So even if we did absolutely nothing, you know, we've got a great set of assets that are producing, we've got some near-term growth, we've got some medium-term growth, and we actually have some long-term optionality. And so, you know, to the extent that the gold price, uh, stays where it is or keeps going higher, uh, we are really well positioned, uh, for the future because the one great thing about being the size we are today is that it doesn't take much to actually move the needle growth wise for us. Uh, so I think we're really well set up, but I do see a lot of opportunities ahead for us. I think we will do good things, uh, from a personal standpoint, uh, after the offering, I was, I actually have been putting my own money. Uh, in buying Mavericks shares. So that's sort of a vote of confidence for that. And uh, we think we're really well positioned uh, to grow our multiple uh, and net asset value and cash flow per share going forward.
0: Agreed. I think we've got a fantastic setup at Mavericks. And Ryan, best way for the investors to reach out to you and the company?
1: Probably two things. Uh, first, you can go to uh, our website, mavericksmetals.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter where we're at Mavericks Metal. So you'll get some, you'll get more updates on the Twitter side. So I'd encourage everyone to sign up for that. We retweet some of the things our operators and uh, partners have been doing. So I think those are probably the two best ways. Well, Ryan, it's been
0: fun. And thanks again for coming on to the show.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.